Welcome to another episode of St. George's Run and Stop, your official podcast of the Church of St. George, the Martin Kelton. It's your host on this continued exploration of faith during this time of crisis. And I am joined, as always, by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. How are you today, sir? Good day to you, Lindsay. Um, I'm doing very well through the grace of God. I have just seen my. Um, Surgeon, as I said to you early on, I'm feeling good through the grace of God, and I'm just awaiting when um, the 22nd, when I have to go in for some um, further investigation. But I'm 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 feeling good, um, no pain and nothing like that, and I'm very grateful to the prayers uh, for the prayers of the people and their thoughts and support. Um, we as a family are also doing uh, well, thank you. I trust the same for you and your family. Uh, yes, um, we yes. are doing well, coping with the weekend. There's 30 degrees and wow, it's crazy. But we are going into the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany. The theme is back to basic, rebuilding the family. It's the first of the return of the family services, children back in the parish, obviously. Um, these two services a week. Through this idea of getting back to basics, what does it mean for the parish of St. George the Martin? Um, I have said in my own, or you know, the thoughts that have sort of visited me from the you know January month has been the word rebuilding. You know, I was really responding internally to the message of the possibility of COVID either becoming so much part of our life that we'll have to live with it, with all the necessary protocols in place, or going forward, uh, a COVID-free world. Either way, whatever was stopped and whatever, um, you know, in, in our normal lives, the word rebuilding came to me, and I thought that perhaps one of the things we need to look at is our family lives. And when I listen to the pastoral stories and and so forth, I do hear uh, a need for us to look at, you know, family life and mm. rebuilding and uh, co further construction uh, with, with vision for, for the future. And I addressed this matter to the Mother's Union president because the Mother's Union, as you would have seen by the prayer we cited, um, has a, a keen focus of their ministry on marriage and family life. And I thought that they would have the necessary resources and this uh, particularly to assist us with how to do that. So the Mother's Union President, um, Mrs. Velma de la Cruz, sorry, Mrs. Verna de la Cruz, um, came up with, you know, me saying the word rebuilding. She says, back to basics. And we looked at the back to basics. You know, I don't know, the, <laughs> we were toying with the word, with the word mystery earlier on in our uh, unrecorded um, conversation, which, which is all, always seems to set the tone for 
our recorded sessions. Mm. So I, um, you know, even family life, you know, we don't know from A to Z fully what family life is really all about. We live it, we've experienced it, um, growing up in a family where there are parents and siblings and extended family members. Those of us that got mm -hmm. married and now have our own children. Um, and we try how best as our parents did and grandparents did and, and so forth. But I think we, we don't talk enough about family life. We perhaps find that once we've closed the door behind us, that what be happens behind the doors uh, as to a particular family is not lessons to learn from. And I think it is. If each of us begin to tell our, our stories, including what this week's focus is, our brokennesses and our dysfunction, then, um, then, then the healing is possible because healing is waiting for us, you know, just learning to deal with whatever the crises are that tend to challenge daily and break down family love daily. And basically, I mean, basically, you just need somebody's word, somebody's response, somebody's look on the face, somebody's body language, somebody that didn't put back what, what they took to use. Anything brings the family tumbling down. And I don't know how many of us actually rebuild uh, the broken brokenness, deal with that. So often we are building on, we're trying to, 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 to hold the blink on boo, but at the bottom, the foundations haven't been reset. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the old stuff taken out so that the new stuff can have reinforcement so we can rebuild the layers. So, that's really what we're looking at and just bringing into the frame, uh, hopefully a, a conversation that will encourage families around their tables to make use. I mean, we've now pretty much been able to learn over two years to sit around the table again as families to hopefully begin conversations or to, to listen to one another. And also to just be in its other space while there's silences, you know, to appreciate that as well. Um, so really to start the conversation, to look at biblical resources, stories that help us to see that these stories were written not to make not to make the Bible a perfect book, but uh, you know, a reader-friendly book, um, yeah. uh, one that people can engage and see that God doesn't work with perfect people, particularly God works with the, the broken, the lost, the confused, the dysfunctional. Um, there, there are many stories there that are in that we can look at. And uh, sometimes the, 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 the end of the story is not the end that is written in the text. It is where we take the story further in our own lives, uh, which could be used as the rebuilding. So I, I that was in in me, and 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 uh, Werner responded brilliantly, um, and uh, and I'm very grateful for the partnership that she, Melanie, and these other people, staff, them, uh, you know, Charlene, them. Um, mm -hmm. 
I think there's a, there, and hopefully the people of the parish will value and also challenge what we're trying to do and bring back into to, to us things that we perhaps left out, things that we perhaps said too harshly or where it felt like judgment, but none of this was meant for judgment. We all a work of God's grace, um, needing reconstruction um, individually and family-wise. And I think that if we start there, you know, communities can be rebuilt as well as nations. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I, I like a few things that you framed there where it's like God works with the broken and the damaged. Or I, I can't actually. Dysfunctional. Dysfunctional. Um, my, my response to that will always be uh, because those people are the most um, open to the idea of, of God working within them. Uh, because when you're desperate, you will look to anything as an answer to your to your needs. Uh, but besides for that, um, it's a challenging liturgy this week. Um, we're dealing with 2 Samuel 13, and it goes against a lot of my model code. Um, so I'm going to need your help digesting that. Uh, but before we get into that, can you please call us together with a collective prayer? Yeah. I'm going to be praying the the second collect, collect um, but both will be on your screens for you to follow, but specific to the to our text, to our theme, back to basics, brokenness and dysfunctional family life. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for your love so freely given to us all. We pray for families around the world. We ask your blessing on the work of the Mother's Union as they seek to share your love through the encouragement, strengthening and support of marriage and family life. Empowered by your spirit, May we be united in prayer and worship and in love and service, reach out as your hands across the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, the readings and the collects are, are in the podcast description as always, and you can follow along there. It's just the choice verses. Um, from the readings that I have selected. And in our first reading, it's the unfortunate tale of Absalom and Amnon and Tamar, where Absalom, um, they both David's sons and daughter, Absalom has a sister, Tamar, and Amnon is like, I'm all about that. And he, what was it? He, um, and after a time, he loved her. I just love these beautiful words. Then he gets together with his friend and his friend gives him this whole idea of inviting her over. He's going to feign illness, invites her over to make food for him, obviously, so that he can see how she makes it and she must now feed him from her hand. And then he effectively rapes her. Um, and now all the shame is being brought on poor little Tamar and she has to live with her brother Absalom. I do not know what to make of this. <laughs> this is like incest, there's rape, there's a lot of things going on here. Can you 
explain to me the the lesson that you understand within this text? I appreciate this story for many reasons, and I will try and cite some of them. I'm going to start at verse 21. When King David heard all of these things, he was angry. Now, nowhere does it actually say that even though he was angry, there was any way in which he admonished Amnon for doing what he did. In fact, one could see traits of the patriarchal society uh, when something like this happens within the family, incest of some kind, the family decides to be silent about it. Mm. The victim must suffer in silence. The perpetrator, who in most cases are men, young boys, um, and they are let off the hook because skanda happened in the family and the best way families believe to deal with it is though they are angry, they don't deal with the issues. Hmm. Tamar is an, that's, so that's the first point I want to make. Daddy was angry, but daddy really did not do much. And so the victim is further victimized in the patriarchal narrative, in the patriarchic reality. Mm. Now, the patriarchy hasn't left us. It's very much still sealed and uh, in the minds of men. And, um, and I would even dare to say some women promote it uh, in a very subtle way when they uh, use words like, just you wait until your daddy comes home then he'll sort you out. So that, you know, further puts stresses on the fact that patriarchy is the policeman of society and society is within family and that is the narrative. Now, also, this was a bit of a deep family because you had more than one wife with children, mm. one father. And how do children with different um, mothers, for example, how, or different parent, one different parent and one the same parent, how do they really interact with one another? Um, when there has been a divorce and the parents get married to other partners and then maybe Maybe those partners have children. And so you bring all of these people together. In some cases, admirably, it works, uh, where people have to work through uh, what is now no longer biological and genetic, but where you have to work on your humanity, mm. which I think for me is the more profound work to, way to work with each other. Uh, genetic connections are a blessing. It shouldn't be a curse. 
but how we relate to one another. Ultimately, when we are brothers and sisters of one another, but we should be working together. So, so now here's for me the dilemma. How is it possible that Amnon could fall in love with his stepsister? How is that possible? Is that possibility real within a family? Oh, this uh, was half half sister, half. So. Yes, they were half sister. Yes, yeah. half sister. I, I can't remember if it was step or what. No, I don't even step. I'm 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 always confused. When uh, are you related? If you have one daddy and a different mommy, or one mommy and different daddies. So I'm always confused as to what you know. Patriarchal society says you're connected because of your father. Yeah. Modern society yeah. says you're connected because of your mother and your father. So, <laughs> so we stuck there. So is that possible? Is there that kind of thing that can happen where in a family like this, and there are many families like that throughout the world, where that can happen? So the, 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 the arrangement in the family, the atmosphere in the family, the teaching in the family has not dissuaded this young man from having a uh, an attraction towards his um, half-sister. Hmm. Um, she had no feelings such as that. Hmm. So she probably understood the situation. This young man may have had other issues going on with him uh, that he, you know, allowed himself to go down that route. Yeah. Because you hear... He was tormented. He was so obsessed with her that he was tormented by it. And we later see that the obsession, once he raped her, he then discarded her. Yes. She became useless and nothing to him, which is what rape victims normally become. Because it's not about love and sex. It's about power as many would tell us. Um, and so the lust and all of that kind of stuff has got nothing to do with love. So is it a, you know, the story writer says after a time, David's son, Amnon, loved her. But then if that love was real, why discard her? Yeah. Um, I also, you know, in this whole thing, find, so that for me is one part of the dilemma. The second, the other thing would be um, David, uh, um, David, in a way, forced her to go to his house. She was probably aware of the danger of going there. Yeah. yeah. Because she must have felt this man's uh, arrowed eyes on her. Mm -hmm. Father seemed to be, you know, this was a pronounced king in all of Israel. Why did he know what was going on in his own home? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I suppose I stand guilty of that as a, a father who's a priest. You know, how, how much of my, in my own family do I know what's going on? 
So my work is about people and their families and, and mm-hmm. all of that. And um, and it's not just my work. I believe it's my vocation. It's what I have a sense of call to do, to, to be with people in a pastoral and caring way and to help work with them by the grace of God, by the wisdom of the Spirit, to to through the, 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 the dilemmas that they are, sit, are sitting with. Um, and then, of course, uh, murder happens out of this. So in this family, you have incest. You have an angry father who forces the victim to become the victim, the, 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 the targeted victim who ends up being the victim. And, and Tamar's story is, is something we as the church hardly even put in our lectionary. Mm-hmm. This was my opportunity to bring it in because it deals with brokenness and dysfunction of the worst kind. You know, I'm not, it's not just about we argue with one another here. This is very, very divisive stuff that happens within this family. And I believe there's something that we need to learn from this. In other words, this story is telling me a perfect king with a dysfunctional family. Um, and he doesn't know how to deal with the realities within his own family. Mm. And that's why I like the scriptures, um, because in many occasions, they give us the story that we think most unlikely should be in there. But we avoid telling those stories. We don't read it publicly. We don't engage what its nuances are. Yeah. And, um, and so let me say two things then in, in my response to you. One is the is the angry but incapable father who doesn't know his family and the second would be what happens to the victim particularly within a family when families smother those stories so so in other words family don't deny your brokenness, your your in your in, incompetence. Acknowledge you need help. Acknowledge you need a way out. Don't let the worst of the worst happen in your family life. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm saying my my read on it is <laughs> Amnon is clearly a sexual predator. Um, he makes it quite plain um, the deception that he uses to, That's to correct. trap the victim, entrap the victim, and then just how he treats her, like exiting that whole situation is is just disgusting, honestly. And um, that David would obviously David is a little bit powerless here, and and he feels that his anger is more in his powerlessness that he didn't see the situation for what it was and that he led Tamar into this situation then the other thing is just our society just absolutely lets Tamar down because now she lives with this shame yeah it's almost like it's like like there's an evolution of thought that is now coming to the idea of virginity and it's 
it's always not sat well with me, this idea that women are expected to maintain their innocence, their, their virginity, until some man decides to choose them as, you know, his wife. And then he may have the power to take. And it's like, women should have the agency over their own bodies yeah. to make those decisions of right. when to give it, to give it freely. You know, I mean, obviously within like in a well-considered way, <laughs> Um, not just give in to 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 any urges as as men also should not act on any urges. And there it, it comes to kind of the crux of where it breaks my model code, where it's like the idea that lust can overpower you like this. Mm. It's like this is not the first or the last. Yeah sexual obsession that Amnon is ever going to face, you know? Well, technically it does become his last. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <rightly> so. <laughs> um, but like, if you, if you look at men, like uh, serial cheaters, I, I know people who fall into this idea that they love um, the, the people who they cheat on their wives with. Mm. Um, and it's like, just because a woman engaged with your flirting and made you feel special doesn't mean that, like, you must put yourself in a position to lose everything, you know, risk everything to act on that feeling, because that's not the first person who's going to, and it's unfortunate that so many men marry, go into serious relationships and marry um, the first woman who made them feel special, who made them, you know, made their hearts race a little bit, you know, mm. and never, a lot of people, a lot of men misconstrue that idea. And like, if you look at it the way I do, where we are at our base, just animals. Mm. And I keep chickens and the incest that happens within a flock. <laughs> mm. And even if you have um, dogs or cats, like the inbreeding and all that sort of stuff that happens, like you literally have to make sure that the bloodlines like aren't mixed or, or like least stay pure in terms of like introducing other sexual partners into those kinds of situations. And it's the same for humans. It's just we've made it taboo. Um, we've we've somehow decided that we are going to be um as a society, as a as a as a species, we've decided that we are going to be uh what is the word I'm looking for? Mono um where you have a single partner. Yeah. Yes. Um, and not homogeneous and, Although that is wrong, it goes against our animal instincts. It then proves our humanity that we can be in control of that. And I always, for lack of a better term, minister <laughs> to other men to be like, you can't just, you know, mistake 
love for sexual attraction for love. Absolutely. You see now what you are saying. So it's monogamy, monogamy, monogamy. Yeah, monogamy. That's the word. Yeah. Completely escaped me. But, but but you you see all that you are saying suggests to me uh, a question: How much of all of this is education in the home? Yeah. How much of this? Now I'm not talking about just sitting down and teaching. I'm I'm suggesting that parental uh, roles and relationships which are observed mm. by children and and they they learn by observation and they learn by listening to the conversations the kind of way mommy and daddy talks to each other in public so when when they learning th and probably learn far more through what we do than what we say uh, that informs them about this like for example I said to my daughters when they were a little younger, um, I would say out loud, uh, well, that lady's got very nice legs. Mm. Now, mm. my girls, um, you know, I suppose in, in, in us as you, you, humanity, the ethics that we are born with, not necessarily learned from our parents, but there's an ethics in us. How can my dad marry to my mommy, say another woman? <laughs> you know, that's the logic that I'm assuming that they've been, that they've got in. And I say, but I tell your mother, she's got beautiful legs as well. Yeah. And I'm saying openly to you, and I'm teaching you, I'm saying to you, and I've learned this, you know, some years ago, I learned people are attracted, are attractive. Yes. We generally mm -hmm. are attractive. Beauty, of course, is in the eye of the beholder. The attraction mm -hmm. is in the eye of the beholder. So I may be a married person. I'm attracted to my colleague who's a woman purely based on the fact that we work together well. She may bring all kinds of wisdom to the table for us to produce what we have to produce in terms of our work situation. Yeah. But yeah. I've got to know where the line the line is. And she's got to know where the line is. I would rather want to I'm committed to for life rather than conceal my my attractions because then they they can breed on deception within me. Mm -hmm. um, so I go out. I, I, I My standpoint is that everybody's attractive. I'm going to be attracted to the way Lindsay speaks, to the way he cuts his hair, yes. to the way he walks, yeah. to the way he's, oh, he's got a view of smart glasses on, brother. That's what, you know, and you know, we had led me back to one day when I was confronted um, by a gay guy in, in a meeting I was having in the States. And somehow the conversation went around that he asked me, so what's unattractive about a male body? Yeah. And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm caught now. You know, where it, you know where it took me back to, to think about when I was sitting in, in the bioscope and the guy on the horse that was the hero of the of the film in the westerns i would want to be like that person mm. so i learned that god made us attractive creation is attractive generally speaking a beautiful flower the mountain the day and all that and human beings mm. but we need to know that that attraction must not lead to things that's going to Business others, um, it must not lead to deception. Mm. 
it must not lead to division. So I think if I'm open about what I'm attracted to, then I'm, I'm, I'm and admit to that myself, I'm able then not to go down the road of temptation. Yeah, yeah, no, that knowledge of self is central to my belief system. It's all about being completely honest about what you think, how you think about things, how you approach things. Like I, <laughs> I learned very, very early in my in my marriage, um, I obviously travel quite a bit uh, for work uh, to various places around the globe, and I have a very particular set of features that I find attractive, and my wife embodies all of them. Um, but then you land in, I think I've told this anecdote before, you, I landed in Spain, and every fifth woman <laughs> <laughs> was like a perfect representation of my particular taste. And Croatia, the same. Lebanon, the same. Israel, the same. Like all those Mediterranean kind of places. And if you love your life thinking that there's only one person who's going to be perfectly attractive to you, that is a lie, son. <laughs> that is an absolute mm. lie. That's lying to yourself. That's That's a narrow view of the world and only if you know yourself and you know you are comfortable with the less desirable parts of your psyche of your personality if you know that if you know yourself like a good friend you'll be able to temper those desires and you know confront exactly what the feelings are and name them for what they are which is lust most times um yeah uh, we were actually i was playing football with some old friends on friday night and we were talking and one of uh, the younger ones he was saying that he's in online dating he's the only one of the group uh, who isn't married or recovering <laughs> addict um, and he was saying that like there there is enough women on the dating sites to like line up one for every night of the week and I told him and I, I said like I cannot imagine a a worse existence than having to like make a first impression multiple times a week to have a sexual partner <laughs> you know? yeah yeah <laughs> like I've yeah. invested so much time and effort into like a very good relationship my wife is my best friend Mm. Um, and like having to rebuild now, like at this stage of my life, I just don't have the time and I'm just too lazy. <laughs> mm. But again, most of what you're saying um, should be things that are able to be shared in the home context so that our children and we are aware of what is going on on the outside in order for us to be dealing with you see david's anger led nowhere yeah so yeah. so anger whilst we must feel it we must acknowledge it but as the 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 author to the letter to the ephesians say which i think is very wise do not let the sun go down on your anger in other words deal with the brokenness and the dysfunction Hmm. Now, the dysfunction may perhaps not have happened within your home, but you have enough material going around 
we, we can learn from it in books, in articles, um, even, even what is produced on television in story form. You know, those are the things we must, and particularly because they, that voice of the story comes into our spaces. We, we're hearing it. So we need to have good conversations at home and not let brokenness and dysfunctional creep in. How many people um, are in and need and should need 12-step programs because of family dysfunction and brokenness? Yeah. It's not only those who are dysfunctional because of alcohol abuse in the home. It could be of other forms of abuses where alcohol didn't even play a role. That has caused one or two or three of the children to feel so inadequate about who they are and the brokenness that they've been that they've been raised in, that the problem is they don't know the healing way out of it. Mm-hmm. Because when you trap, you don't want to admit, and that's part of our, our problem in that. We don't want to admit, and so we don't get the help that we need. So I'm hoping um, that the prayer I placed on the pew leaflet um, from last week onwards uh, will be from tomorrow, uh, just a short gathering of the family. It won't take you two minutes to just re-pray that prayer. Be prayerful about praying the prayer with the family in, in in that moment. Let's, I know that all of us pray, but let's pray as families. And if we do, that that will strengthen what you're already doing. If you don't, you can start rebuilding your lives through that means. Yeah. Um, and so um, there, are th- there are things here that, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that we don't, we are not speaking to people generally where incest is a, is a, is a, is a problem. But we do know distorted sexual understandings mm. can happen when we don't address them properly in the home. Yeah. And so, um, you know, so I'm, 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 I'm calling out, don't ignore the story of Tamar. Go and reflect on it again, as difficult as it is to read, to understand, but grapple with it. Don't leave it there. Perhaps um, we see one of the nuances of that reading, how he turns into hate and despising. Um, And the next lesson lends itself to that. Uh, It uses the very strong language of hating a brother and a sister. Like we should remove as many taboos as possible from from our our home lives. We We should understand that our children are people and we need to treat them as people and equip them for for being grown-ups you know like no one's gonna teach them in school how to temper their desires and how to understand what they're feeling you know like that's that's what that's what the family unit is there for that's it's the people we can learn from who are most closest to us. Absolutely. And, and I hope that our conversation to all who are listening will 
perhaps help us also along that route because we don't know, neither Lindsay nor I can confess to know everything about, about this. Yeah. Um, but we, we, we in conversation exploring what all, what is a story like Tamar do to our faith, to our understanding of God? Because we do come out to the God factors. Why did Tamar in a family like David's end up a rape victim? And and so often uh, people with you know religion with, with parents who are very faith based, trying to be faithful in their faith to God, and then these happen in their families, mm. and it can be tormenting because the expectation is that God should have stopped it from happening. Now again. I don't know the answer to all of that. I, I don't profess to know. I we we go on asking questions, mm. which in one level that's all we can do, and hopefully questions opens up the mystery of who God is to us when these things happen. Um, I mean, I I think one of the mo- mo- most important question coming out here is, you know. How many of our families have got people who've, who've experienced rape in them? May, may have been from, mm-hmm. from, an, from a family member and it hasn't been healed. The victim was asked to keep quiet. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, this is the sparing language. Um, so Tamar lived a desolate woman. I mean, just that description. And she was in her brother's house. So she wasn't even in her own context. She's the most disempowered person, a desolate woman. Don't let people alone and 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 don't 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 let them tell their stories. Let them name the perpetrator, uh, even if it's an uncle, a dad, or a brother or, a, or whoever it is, because if we don't speak out, instead of allowing the Absaloms in our family to murder the Amnons in our family, both these boys could be saved. Intervention is there for perpetrators as well. God's mm-hmm. grace abounds for the perpetrator as God's grace abounds for the victims. We cannot let victims live in desolation. Neither must we allow perpetrators to live in arrogance. And families are a source of healing here if they're able to speak up. And I will allow the use of grace in this context. But moving on uh, to the gospel, which is according to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. This is when Jesus gets onto the boat to preach from the boat, then tells Simon and his homies to throw their nets in the deep waters, and they pull up more fish than they can even handle. And then he tells them, follow me. And they do, because people are very impulsive. Would you have followed a messiah 
if he had worked a miracle in your life? Me? Yes. I, I would answer sp spontaneously, yes. But the miracle didn't happen when I started consciously following the Messiah. Um, my faith was not based on uh, the extraordinary, but it's it's founded in the ordinariness of my parents' example, um, found in the ordinariness of them not just leading the way to the center of worship, to the community of worship. Mm. Um, and they they pray they 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 pray for me. And I I can't I can't say thank you enough to my dad for kneeling at the couch five o'clock half past five in the morning, ready before he goes to work, praying and hands folded in a prayer like like um, stance. Um, praying with lips moving. I, I that that is so deeply ingrained within me. My mom would would speak about prayer and would pray openly. My dad was a much more quiet and reserved person. Mm -hmm. So I had the benefit of both of that. But the miracle did take place. At least one that I can certainly remember. My mom was down with uh, thyroid problems that led to uh, a breakdown in her life. Mm -hmm. And for many years, she just was not herself and could not really function as mother to us um, young, young people. We were unfortunately part of the 1960s, 1950s, 1960s, where Cape Flats was our home township areas and you didn't move that way, you lived with family. Yeah. Uh, with with tensions, of course, but eventually we came to Mitchell's Plain uh, by God's grace, and there was the miracle. My dad, after many many years, had, and kept going to the council to say, "When, when, when is my name coming up?" And then, uh, through some miracle, they found his folder and put him on the list, and we moved to Mitchell's Plain. And I'm glad to say that they lived in that house for 32 years before my dad passed on. And my mom lived there longer. The That was the first miracle. The second miracle was, I, I, as I said, from a very young age, age 12, I was, I was very much into scripture. I studied scripture every day. I had it placed on my, in little cards my dad brought home from his printing job. Mm. Things would be all over the wall where I in my room, um, I'm, and I basically could say scripture from uh, you know from all over that I I yeah. suppose choice scriptural texts, but nonetheless scripture that suited your agenda. It, it, yeah, I, <laughs> you know that's where we, our starting point is, not until we, we, say, we began to say, but older we've got to be mature about this, more mature. Yeah. This. But I I went and sat in my mother's room when I came home from school one day. 
I could have been in matric. I'm not sure. Sure, my mom had done what she could. She was lying down, and that's all that we had seen for a number of years. And I said these words to her. I said, "Mom, if I was Jesus telling you to get up, what would you do?" Mm. She said to me, "You are Jesus." And she stood up. And you know what? My mother never went to lie down the way she did the years before that. Now, obviously, I'm not Jesus. Um, I don't even know whether I phrased that statement in the right way. Mm. But her response was what she heard was Jesus. And she got up. Um, and she never, ever after that um, slept the way she did, was out of life the way she was. Um, life just poured back into her. And, and that was one of the miracles I'm very aware of. So, no, I didn't need that miracle to bring me to Christ. I listened to the gospel. I was encouraged to engage scripture. I participated in worship. I had questions about life. Uh, my exposure was to scripture, was to the church, was to the Christian life. Um, when I became politically conscious in my in my ninth and tenth year at, at school, it was scripturally based because of the word justice. Um, and one of the favorite texts that we would recall is Isaiah 58. Um, another would be the Exodus. The whole liberation theme became a real for me. Scripture motivated us to speak out and to speak up, to call upon the God of justice mm. and to do something uh, in our context. Um, so, no, I didn't need a special miracle that would have drawn me. But, yes, it inspired me even more to believe, to trust, um, and to be grateful. Because one of the greatest miracles you and I live is the life God gave us. The miracle of Medical of love in marriage. There are many explanations <laughs> for all of those things. I'm sure um, you have them. <laughs> <laughs> but I will I will say this. You have the luxury of 2,000 years of knowledge and experience and written record to refer to, to know a Christ. So if you put your mind, if you put yourself in the mind of Simon Peter, and James and John at this time, um, fishermen not having the best of luck, dude rolls up and it's like, yo, throw your nets there, and then they have all the luck in the world. And now you sit on this fortune, and this person who gave it to you says, nah, leave that, you know, but follow me. And I cannot, and, and, and I've tried to, to run this 
this kind of mental exercise many times. There is not, there does not exist a scenario that I can think of where I would have put my trust entirely in a person. I can show you that my sense of call I heard but wasn't clear about. Mm. And I was very active in the house churches when I, we lived in Mitchell's Plain. Now, the, the guys that I was with, I mean, I was still at school. These were married guys, working guys, who were lay ministers already. So that huge amount of life experience on me. And then just one day when I'd finished my matric and got my results and pronounced that I had passed with, a, um, with an exemption, mm-hmm. the guy said to me, I've got an appointment with, with you to go to Mannenberg and work there. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be an accountant. Mm-hmm. My dad couldn't afford to send me to university, but I explored that means. Mm. And, and the interviews that I went through, one, I didn't get the next one. The possibility was there, but I didn't pursue it. Mm. Because at that stage, all I was determined now was it just as if the church drew me. And I had some dissenting voices saying, you know, you've got to go out and work. Mm. Um, my dad was the one that said no let him do what he needs to do Mm. and Mm. I ended up earning something like 60 rand a month in that job for a year and 18 months I worked there Mm. and not once after being in that work did I have a sense that I've got to leave to pursue another way. Somehow, my desire from age 12 to be part of the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, here came the kind of an answer through a lay minister whom I didn't even know spoke to people that got me the interview at Mannenberg's church. Mm. So I, I really, it was out of my hands. And I believed this brother. I somehow just followed it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, history would say now, here here I am, (laughs) 38 years later. And I keep wondering if I had not followed that, if I had not pursued that, what would I have become? Would Would I be in any other, not that I'm incapable of doing any other work, it's just that for me, that seemed to have been, you know, why was I a young man? I, I, I was uh, beginning to show potential on the cricket field. Mm. Um, I had potential in the soccer field, but none of those things had a draw card. And I, can I explain it? I mean, we, are we drawn to these things? Are these things like magnets out there? I don't but know. I, I will explain my, my current situation is just pure blind luck. But it's it's I'm I'm a big believer in that idea of making your luck. You know, you you participate, you do the thing that you want to do, even if 
there isn't a clear place to do it, even if you don't have to use the the, the modern um, <laughs> version of it, even if there isn't a place at the table for you, <laughs> you know, you still make your space, you still lay your table, you know, you still eat, you use the cutlery correctly. And people are watching, like, if you are, if you believe that you're good enough, um, like, I have the advantage. The reason I got into writing was it was the one thing that no one has ever told me that I'm bad at. Okay. Okay. And that gives you a sense of confidence. And it's that, I'll, I'll say it's that, um, it's that happy feeling that I keep chasing and keep finding. Was it's that been? Yeah. Was that then not what James, John, and Peter felt when he said, I will now help you to become fisher of men? Yeah, but I mean, that's, that's very, it's, it's, a, it's a very high concept. It's like, it's not a practical idea. You know, yeah, you can make an instant fortune selling this fish but this dude is telling you no come come with me whereas so they, they <laughs> you know i i would have taken the fish and i would have gone to the market and you know then asked him buddy can you give me a couple more tips about how to do this or then try and figure out how he knew to throw the thing there and probably drive myself insane if it did turn out to be like some amazing miracle that only he could do uh, that that would have been my response in this whole situation, but to be honest. I hear, I hear you, but and my response would be, um, my response would be the 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 being an agent of hope mm. to to people. Yeah, and that's what I would have been drawn to. The, the fish will be in the sea, and there are those who will catch them. Um, and that may be their mission, but the world and its and humanity continues to need support and help yeah. and challenge and love. Um, and if I may use the word grace again, mm -hmm. um, um, and and hope and vision, and 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 that's what I think our Lord is offering, and that's what I continue to follow in the ministry that I. I uh, am called to. Um, it is in that uh, empowerment of the people that communities can be built, uh, and 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 hopefully, fair economy can be built um, when the the values of what it means to catch people um, or to win people uh, for God. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I understand that, but that's what I, I kind of converted my my talents into was, um, I knew that I could tell an entertaining story, or at least I could write an entertaining story, and then using that to educate, to uplift, to empower, to add hope, to give insight into, because my my actual talent is 
being able to sort through a lot of data and see connections within it really quickly. And then to communicate that to people became my my passion. Yeah, it's, it's about telling the stories that need to be told mm. in an no, entertaining I, yeah. way so people can understand it. Well, I I think that my my calling would then be to listen to the stories of brokenness mm. and and of joy. To listen to people, to I think uh, I think this we, we all needing somebody to listen to us. Yeah, we all needing to tell our stories, but not very many people are able or willing to tell their stories because there's shame. And there's blame um, that's always and guilt that's attached to it. Mm. Um, I, I think my sense of of what Jesus is saying is to be able to work with people um, with so that they can work within themselves and see how the grace, the love, the mercy of God um, can help transform them from the inside. Um, making them as productive as they would love to be when they share their gifts and talents, when they are empowered to do it. Now their stories can be told, not necessarily by him saying anything, but just what they're becoming and what they um, what they're producing with their lives for the benefit. And yeah, I want to say for the benefit of everybody i love that term for the common good yeah yeah and i think that's a good term to close the conversation on thank you very much this has been another enlightening conversation i got to speak about myself which is one of my favorite topics <laughs> thank you very much thanks very much Lindsay, and thank you all for joining us and again please help us with the theme of family we appreciate your input, um, questions, challenges to us that will help us um, have this conversations ongoingly. <laughs>